I'm so thankful to be speaking to you all today. I'm so thankful that we had Aaliyah lead worship. I, I've known Aaliyah for many years, and we've sung and led together, and she's such a gift. Um, a gift is a friend, but also a gifted worship leader and a gifted sister in Christ. So um, we miss David and Melissa, who, who are not here today, um, so you're stuck with me. Um, I'm shorter, and I have more hair, so we'll see how this, this sermon goes. Uh, you might even be out early for lunch if the service goes as first service did. Um, so if you've been around here, you know that we are in James, and today is the last week in our series in James. This has been an um, expository preaching series where we've been going throughout the book of James um, and just taking the scripture for what it is and, and just um, kind of tearing it apart. The book of James is a lot like the Old Testament, um, a lot like the book of Proverbs, and it's dressed up in New Testament clothes. Its consistent focus is on practical action in the lives um, of us believers and faith, and that's reminiscent of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, encouraging God's people to act like God's people. The pages of James are filled with commands to pursue a life of holiness and become more like Jesus, as we learned throughout this series this summer. And so we've looked at different sections of James, and so we're kind of taking a step back in that we're um, in James 3 instead of James 5 like we were last week. But I think this kind of nicely wraps up a lot of what's at the heart of James. And so today we're going to be in James 3, verses 13 through 18. It'll be on the screen, but feel free to open your Bible and read along with me. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should know that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. In this passage, James is describing two different kinds of wisdom. The first kind of wisdom is worldly wisdom. It's that which is um, demonic, unspiritual, and earthly. And all of these different types of wisdom are characterized by their fruits. So, of course, the, the wisdom not from God being unspiritual and demonic. And oftentimes along with that comes with envy and selfish ambition and disorder and disappointment. But then second, there is the wisdom that is from God. James gives us a list of the characteristics, and they are reflective of the nature of God himself as he works in us by his spirit. Pure, peace-loving, considerate submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. These kinds of characteristics go along with wise ideas, wise actions, and wise decisions that come from God. With such peacemaking wisdom, we sow in peace and we reap a harvest of righteousness. I love that this passage shows us the wisdom from God stands in stark contrast to the wisdom of this world and oftentimes even the wisdom that we think of of people that are in our communities or our workspaces or even our families that are wise. A cunning business plan may produce an ambitious goal that we've set for ourselves, but if that 
seemingly wise project is filled with envy and selfish ambition, then in the end, its fruit will be disorder and disappointment. But on the other hand, if a wise approach is instead characterized by consideration, grace, mercy, and mutual submission with mercy towards one another and sincerity, that, pl that plan is more than likely to bear the marks of the fruits of the Spirit, which are characteristics of God and his nature. We find the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. In so many ways, what James says in James and what Paul says in Galatians is that this type of wisdom and fruits of the Spirit are very countercultural, especially in our societal framework that prioritizes being quick, self-centered, cunning, savvy, and aggressive. Whether it's in business or banking or sports or in academia or real estate or all these different sectors and groups that we find ourselves in, there is so much pressure to be cunning and sharp and, and be one step ahead of everyone else um, with our own success and ambition in mind. Many of you might remember Pharma Bro. Um, if you don't, his name was Martin um, Schraley. And in 2015, Schraley, who was a pharmaceutical executive, obtained the manufacturing license for an antiparasitic drug called Daraprim. If you're not familiar with Daraprim, um, it's an antiparasitic medicine that helps prevent parasites from growing and reproducing in the body. It is commonly treated to treat such serious conditions as malaria and AIDS, and oftentimes this drug is life-saving and it's critical to the lives of people that are suffering from these conditions. After Scraley obtained the license for Daraprim, he hiked the price from $13.50 to $750 per pill. The price of this life-saving drug hiked by over 5,000% overnight, and even to this day, the generic form of this drug costs $700. Many might look at this and see, you know, that was a really great business move. You know, he saw a hole in the market. He saw that he could charge more than what was being charged um, so often as we do in capitalism. And some people might have seen that and thought, wow, that's a really great way to make a profit. And he did. He raked over $64 billion in profit, but at the cost of the lives of people who need it and people who are likely already struggling and marginalized. Many might look at this and see a savvy business move, but instead he was motivated by greed, selfish ambition, and envy. And I think most of us would argue that jacking up the price of a critical life-saving drug, essentially making it essentially unavailable to those in need of it, is, as James suggested, demonic and unspiritual. And so a business decision that might, in the world's eyes, seem wise, even if he had, you know, made the price $400. Um, it's not wise when we're thinking of wisdom, as James says here, as that which is peaceable, gentle, and showing mercy towards one another. Now, I'm not saying not to be a good steward of our gifts, which is the time and the talents and the finances and the family that God has given us. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, Be careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, for the days are evil. Paul admonishes, 
admonishes us to live carefully with wisdom and making the most of each opportunity, which might sometimes mean making a really smart business decision or knowing when to invest um, when stocks are low and knowing when to purchase them, things of that nature. There's wisdom in that. And whenever we're considering our families and the people in our communities, it's wise to consider those things. But the wisdom of the Bible and of the gospel is not the worldly wisdom embodied in our culture of industry and greed and success and celebrity. Instead, the wisdom of God is embodied in Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate example. So our first point this morning is that to be wise is to be like Jesus. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. Gentleness and meekness, which is another word for gentleness that is often used in the Bible, um, refers to a submissive spirit opposed to arrogance and self-seeking. The person with meekness is not a doormat for those in their lives, but controls and overpowers the natural human tendency to be aggressive and overly assertive, which can sometimes be sinful. Non-Christian Greeks at the time that James was written felt that this type of humility was a vice. Christianity made meekness into a virtue. Jesus himself said that the meek will inherit the earth. What Jesus meant here is that a believer who relates to God with dependence and contentment will reap God's abundant blessings. The perspective that gentleness and meekness is a vice is not unique to ancient Greece, and we see it even today. We often see that those who are viewed as gentle and meek are often seen as powerless um, people who let people walk all over them. But Jesus personified that wisdom is characterized by gentleness, mercy, purity, and grace. Jesus himself, throughout the scripture, was referred to as a lamb. He was our sacrificial lamb. In Revelation 5.12, it says, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus was likened to a lamb because the nature of a lamb is gentle. Here are some ways in the scripture that Jesus' character and his countenance was referred to as gentle. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, it says, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. His invitation to come to him is broad, and he promises rest in him. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. His gentle way stands in stark contrast to old cultural expectations, even at the time when Jesus was walking the earth. In Matthew 21, 5, just a few verses later, he says, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Israel was expecting their king to come in triumphantly with power. And Jesus is both lion and lamb. Um, But on earth, he was oftentimes lamb coming in as a lowly baby. And then when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, um, that was not how they had anticipated their king to come. So Jesus' nature is gentle. And so to be wise in the spirit of gentleness is to be like Jesus. Our next point is that to be a peacemaker is to be like Jesus. James 3.18 says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. The truly righteous and wise person is a person of peace, as James says here in this passage. 
As we've studied in James throughout this summer, it's clear that one of the themes of James, whether by learning to control our tongue or last week as we learned to make amends and offer forgiveness, that this theme of James is peace and living a holy and righteous life that is um, symbolic of God's character. In Matthew 5, 9, Matthew says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Romans 14, 19 says, So then we pursue things that which make for peace and the building up of one another. Throughout the scripture, we are called to make peace. And again, in James, the whole book is about commanding us to live a righteous and holy life. And so we are commanded to be peacemakers. And Jesus is our ultimate peacemaker. I'm going to read another chunk of scripture. It comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making the appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. After Adam and Eve fell, we were eternally separated from God. Nothing we could do on our own could bring us to God, and so we were enemies of God, as the scripture told us. There was no peace between us, so Jesus came as our sacrificial lamb to be peace for us so that we might have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus came to establish peace. Jesus' message was peace. His death purchased peace, and his resurrected presence enables peace. The Messianic predictions, which were in the Old Testament when the coming of the Messiah was predicted, it would call Jesus the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, 6. The angels announced the birth of Jesus, singing, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to people he favors. Jesus' persistent word of absolution when he would heal someone in the Gospels is, Go in peace. Just before he was crucified, Jesus' last will and testament was, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. When the Lord returned after the resurrection, the first thing he did, um, the first thing he said when he met his friends was shalom, which in Hebrew means peace to you. The life of Jesus was saturated with this mission of peace, to bring the peace of God and to initiate the healing of relationships of peace with God. When sin entered the world, we were not only separated from God, but it hurt our relationship with one another. It hurt our, our horizontal relationship to God, our vertical relationship, and it hurt our relationship with the land and all that we encounter. But Jesus paid an enormous price for us to experience peace. In fact, this very same word, peacemakers, is applied to Paul through what God has done through Christ, that we could be at peace with God. Colossians 1.20 says, Through God, Christ was pleased, through Christ God was pleased, to reconcile everything to him by making peace through the blood of his cross. Further, the apostle Paul informed us that Jesus might create in himself one new man from two, resulting in peace. 
Jesus saw the gravity of our problem, which we could have never reconciled on our own. And instead of sweeping it under the rug or sticking his head in the sand or avoiding peace, Jesus pursued it, peace, by dying for us. Only a drastic solution would suffice. So he made peace for us by shedding his blood on the cross. Christ is our ex- ex- supreme example of bringing peace into our hearts, into our relationships, into our church, and our nation, and our world. Peace, true peace apart from Christ, is not possible. Peacemaking, though, is not the absence of conflict. Peacemaking is not pacifism, appeasement, or accommodation. So oftentimes, I know I think of peace as um, just saying enough to get out of the situation so that there's seemingly peace. But to be a peacemaker is to pursue peace just as Jesus did. Jesus was not passive in his pursuit of making peace. He didn't just let it happen to him. But instead, Jesus reconciled us to God so that we could have mercy as is described here in James. And so he, he died on the cross for us, which is, I think we can all agree, is not a very passive way to make peace. He was very active about peacemaking. Jesus says that those who are peacemakers will be known and recognized as what they really are, the sons of God. And whenever we hear the sons of God, you might just mean the children of God. And the Bible often talks about the children of God. But the sons of God and the children of God are not necessarily the same. The sons of God is like family, and it's a statement of character. As sons of God, we not only bear the resemblance of God and and his family name as Christians, but we bear the character of God. Jesus is saying that as his followers become known as peacemakers, they will be recognized as the sons of God who share his name and share his mission. James, throughout this book, calls us to wisdom. And wisdom, true wisdom, true biblical wisdom of God, calls us to emulate God's character as those who are gentle and peaceable, as these verses in James exhort us to be. This oftentimes stands in sharp contrast to the world. In 1771, Benjamin Franklin says that the verse um, about peacemakers must have been written for a different world because it is so often then in the midst of a revolutionary war. But even now, peace is so difficult to come by because we so often pursue peace and wisdom as the world sees it. As we wrap up James, I want to go back to one of the first verses that we read this summer. David preached on these verses at the beginning of the series. It's James 1.5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This morning, I want to spend some time in prayer, because many of us, myself included, often lack wisdom and a peaceable spirit. Even though those of us that are in Christ are called to emulate God, and oftentimes we do, we are constantly being sanctified and made more like Christ. So I know myself, um, I have many areas to grow in being gentle and peaceful. And know that if you're like me, the same is true for you. This isn't something that we can manifest. That's a really popular word. We can't manifest it. We can't manufacture it. But instead, being peaceful, full of mercy, and submissive and gentle is a byproduct of a real relationship with Jesus. Throughout the book of James, James contended that faith produces authentic deeds. We learned about that throughout this book. 
In other words, if those who call themselves God's people truly belong to him, their lives will produce fruit that reflects that. If we are truly aligned with Jesus, we will bear his peaceable and gentle nature. As the band comes up, I want to spend some time in prayer praying for this. James 1.5 reminds us that if we lack wisdom and we ask God, he will give generously to all of us. Our God, as we sang earlier, he is so good to us. And so when we, um, he says, if, you know, you ask for food, he will not give you a stone. And so this morning, I want to spend some time asking that God would soften our hearts. There's no way to know, know true peace and true wisdom apart from God. He is peace and he is wisdom. So let's spend some time this morning praying. And this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, respond to him. He is good. He is the only one who can provide joy. He's the only one that can provide mercy and grace and peace. For those of us that are in Christ, spend this time asking for wisdom, for he gives graciously to all. Let's pray together. Dear God, you are the true source of peace. You are the true source of wisdom. You are the true source of love and mercy gentleness you embody the fruits of the spirit which are joy love peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control so often even for those of us that are in christ it's so hard to emulate these characteristics our world is often so hard it's so cold it's aggressive and it wants us to be wise in the eyes of the world and peaceful in the eyes of the world instead of wise and peace-filled in you. You say that if we ask, you will give generously to us. So this morning we ask for wisdom. We ask for softened hearts. We ask for peace and these fruits of the Spirit. We can't just change our behavior. These are things only you can provide by a right relationship with Jesus. So if, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray that they would seek you because when they seek you, they find you. For those that are in Christ, I pray that you give them divine peace and divine wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.